The first lesson this morning is from the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 to 6 and 13 to 15. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see God, to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your ancestor, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. The word of the Lord. Let us now stand for the reading of the gospel. The Lord be with you. The Holy Gospel according to St. John in the 8th chapter, beginning at the 51st verse. Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, they will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, at this the prophets, yet you say, If anyone keeps my word, they will never see death. Are you greater than our ancestor Abraham who died, and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, My glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your ancestor Abraham rejoiced, that he would see my day. 
he saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. The Gospel of Christ. Let us pray. Father, may you alone be glorified. And as you are glorified, may we, your people, be edified. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. My family is consistently afflicted with stories that I tell from up front. This is yet another one. My daughter, my 16-year-old daughter's name is Natanya. That's Hebrew for gift of God. But it's a long name, and it's an unusual name. And so it came, well, it didn't come as a huge surprise. It came as a bit of a surprise that uh, she invited nicknames. Early on, her older brother Alex started calling her Tantan, and I think sometimes he still does that. That's still two syllables, though, so it shortened down to Tan or Tanny, and that's most commonly uh, the name that we refer to her by. When she's uh, with her family, her aunt and uncle in Maine, there is a task they do. They go to the local supermarket to shop for groceries. And Natanya really, really doesn't like that a whole lot. The, uh, the chain name of the supermarket is Hannaford's, so it came as maybe not much of a surprise that she, in Maine, she now has the nickname Taniford. But I also have my own private personal names for her, and it came about this way. Uh, many of you will know that my daughter suffers from chronic pain, and uh, there are times when, struggling with that pain, she'll come out of her room and she'll look exhausted and woebegone and bedraggled and she'll be sort of hunched over. She'll look like a a 16-year-old ancient person. And so as is obligatory of a dad of a teenage daughter, I looked for ways to tease her. And so I came up with the phrase, and how's daddy's little ray of sunshine this morning? And she would look down and she would grunt and snort and and otherwise, you know, give me death glares and things like that. And my, my job as a dad was done. In a moment of uh, inspiration, however, uh, I shortened Ray of Sunshine down to Ray. And so now my nickname for her is Ray. It's got, you know, it's got nothing at all to do with Natanya, but she's Ray. And every time I call her Ray, uh, she snorts with fury and she rolls her eyes incredibly loudly and it's really enormously satisfying. Um, one of, her, one of her pain management techniques is sometimes she wears sunglasses indoors to, to protect against the glare of the, of the light. In her room, she sort of closes all the windows and every, all the drapes, and, and she's in the dark. But when she comes out into the living room, sometimes she'll come out wearing sunglasses. And one time she walked out, and I went, oh, it's Ray Charles. And, and of course, then I had to explain to her who Ray Charles was, and at that moment sort of lost some of its dazzle. Um, all those names, what do they say about, about Natanya? 
Well, they probably don't say a whole lot other than that she's sufficiently endearing to invite diminutives and teasing. We're in the middle of a summer sermon series on the names of God. And it's been said before, and I'll say it again, that in biblical times, well, in our times, names don't really say a whole lot about the identity, the character, or the attributes of a person. In biblical times, it was different. It was believed that knowing someone's true name carried with it a certain power. There was a certain insight into who that person was. And, and it, we've talked in the past in, these, in this series about how names were changed to get to the truer essence or the, tr- the, the key attributes of who the person might be. Our Exodus reading today is the famous story of the burning bush. Moses encountered God in the bush, and God commissioned Moses to deliver Israel from the Egyptians. Moses, not at all convinced of the adequacy of his own authority, says, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And here I'll continue with using both the English and the Hebrew words uh, for the names of God. God, Elohim, said to Moses, I am who I am, Ehiah Asher Ehiah. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God, Elohim, also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, Yahweh, the God Elohim of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. In the ancient world, there were many gods, Elohim, and many lords, Adonai, but there was only one, Yahweh. Yahweh, the self-revealed name of, of, of God, is the most holy and secret of God's names. So much so that we don't precisely know what it means and we don't actually know how to pronounce it. So let's, let's get the Hebrew out of the way as quickly as possible and then get down to the implications of the name. First, pronunciation. Initially, this name was said out loud by the Israelites. But by the exilic and post-exilic times, about 500 B.C. or so, the name had been deemed too holy and secret to be said out loud, and the name Adonai, or Lord, was substituted. Even today, conservative and orthodox Jews substitute Adonai, or Hashem, which means the name. And following in this tradition... Most English translations translate the name as Lord, and they use all capital letters. And if you've got a Bible in front of you, you'll you'll notice that. It's always Lord, but it's all capitalized to distinguish it from Adonai, Lord, with capital first letter, but the rest is not capitalized. A little bit more Hebrew. Hebrew, biblical Hebrew, is a consonantal language. So there are no no vowels included in the writing of of the biblical text initially. That meant that the pronunciation and the meaning was handed down by tradition. Uh, how it was pronounced and what that meant then became a very, very important in how, how it was communicated from generation to generation. In the 5th to 10th centuries of our era, a group of uh, Jewish scribes and scholars and rabbis known as the Masoretes, who were fa- functionally the guardians of the text, and they did a very good job, by the way, 
added the vowels to the text. And they did this with a series of dots and dashes above, below, and beside the, the, the consonants. And when they came to this name of God, they added the vowels for the name Adonai, or Lord. And that combination of vowels and consonants is how we came up with the name Jehovah. Um, interestingly enough. Currently, our best guess on pronunciation based just on the consonants are Yehu or Yahuwah, and that was my instinct, is Yahuwah. But for the sake of convention and convenience, I'll stick with Yahweh this morning. Secondly, meaning. It's clear from verse 14 of our text in, in Exodus that the name has to do with being, though the forms aren't quite identical. The meaning of the name is explained as I am or I will be. Again, a little bit more Hebrew. In biblical Hebrew, there are only two tenses, the perfect and the imperfect. The perfect tense refers to that which is completed in the past, and the imperfect, everything else. So it could be both present or future or a combination thereof. And that is the case with this particular word, the I am. It could be both present or future or a combination. My inclination is to think it's both. And I think that if there were a, a verb form that included past, present, and future, that would have been the form that would be used here. Because in the first chapter of the Revelations, God re reveals himself with these words, I am the Alpha and Omega, which are the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet, says the Lord God, who is and who was and is to come, the Almighty. Well, what are the implications of that? Um, there are some. There are some important ones. So let's take a look at them. First of all, God is. God is not a being. God is being. The persistent source from whom all beings come. Not contingent upon or in reference to anybody or anything else. The Apostle Paul in his address to the Athenians at the Areopagus in, Act, in the book of Acts probably quoting the early Greek uh, poet-philosopher Epimenides of Crete, never thought you'd hear that in a sermon, said, In him, God, we live and move and have our being. The 20th century theologian Paul Tillich talked about God as the ground of being. Well, is that it? Because I'm pretty sure that the Israelites laboring, laboring under the whip of the oppressor and having their male babies tossed in the Nile would not be captivated and won over by a philosophical discussion about being, non-being, and the ground of being. There has to be more to the name, doesn't there? And it seems that there is. Because the Hebrew verb to be doesn't just refer to mere existence or being in the abstract, but rather manifest existence or being. So this name of God simply, simply doesn't mean that simply mean that God is, although that does matter, but that God is with. God is manifest. God is not some far-off theoretical God, but is a God who makes his dwelling with his people. And certainly that's what we see in the rest of the story of the Exodus, isn't it? The, the pillar of fire by night and the pillar of smoke by day representing God's guiding manifest presence. For those who have read the latter part of Exodus and, and all the intricate details of the creation of the tabernacle, I'm sure at times your eyes will have glazed over. I know mine have. But this was to highlight the profound and shocking reality that God now dwelt with his people. 
And the Almighty God that dwells with His people deserves the very, very best that they can put together, that they can manage for a dwelling place for their God. And whenever this name of God is used, it is, made, it is God made manifest in some significant way. God is with God's people. And God is for His people. God is actively on their side. God is not cruel and capricious, heartlessly toying with his subjects, and you think of Greek and Roman mythology. Nor is God a neutral judge, waiting to squash any deviation from perfection, though there is plenty of divine wrath against Israel's destructive and alienating ways. But God is the champion of his people, fighting on their behalf and willing them to become the people that they were meant to be. In the verses immediately following our reading, God tells Moses, I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to a land flowing with milk and honey. You'll ask Pharaoh to let you go, but I know he won't. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. In chapter 6, the message God gives Moses to the people is, I am the Lord Yahweh, and I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, Elohim, and you shall know that I am the Lord Yahweh, your God, Elohim. God is also for God's people. And finally, in John's Gospel, John seeks to make it crystal clear that Jesus is this same self-revealing God, perhaps nowhere with greater clarity than in our gospel reading from chapter 8. In our reading, Jesus again in debate with the religious leaders emphatically concludes an argument about Abraham by saying, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am, period, full stop. Before Abraham was, I am, the emphatic ego eimi in the Greek. Recognizing this statement as blasphemy, knowing exactly the reference that Jesus is making, they take up stones to stone him, to kill him for his blasphemy, but Jesus escapes. As Jesus neared the end of his time on earth and of his ministry on earth, he began to hint at a shift in the nature of his presence with his people. He would send to them an advocate, a helper, a champion. In chapter 14 of the same gospel of John, Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. And there are a number of similar references throughout the New Testament. This means for us, the followers of Jesus in the 21st century, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit still is. God still is the persistent source from whom all being and beings come. And this matters because it flies in the face of doubts and denial about God's existence and God's reality. It also means that by His Holy Spirit, God is with us. God is manifest. God is not a far-off theoretical God, but a God who makes His dwelling with His followers. The advocate from the Father is with you forever, as we just read. And that flies in the face of our temptation to a sense of abandonment. God, where are you? 
we ask, or Psalm 22 uh, that Jesus quoted, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When we're tempted to that, we need to be reminded that God is with us. Always has been, always will be. And it means, again, by, the, by His Holy Spirit, that God is actively on our side. God is our champion, fighting on be our behalf and willing us to become the people He intends us to be. In Romans chapter 8, Paul says, The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we don't know how to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And that truth matters because it flies in the face of temptations to believe that God is cruel or deceitful or disinterested in us. But in the age of the Spirit, there's a dramatically new reality for God's people. As shocking as the concept is of the Almighty God, the foundation and source of all, all being dwelling with His people, there is an even more shocking and shockingly intimate revelation for us to face. By the Spirit, God no longer dwells, just dwells with His people, but individually and collectively, God dwells in His people. In the verse immediately following the verse in John 14, where Jesus promised the Advocate, He continued to say, He abides with you and He will be in you. In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul says, God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. And that flies in the face of our temptation to the myth of self-reliance, thinking, thinking that we either can or have to do this on our own. The source of infinite power is upon and within us. What a glorious reminder this morning about the nature of our God, God is. As the foundation and source of all being, God is unimaginably vast and beyond all comprehending. A God whose thoughts are not our thoughts and whose ways are not our own. Certainly not a God created in our image, but we are created in His. By His Holy Spirit, God is with us. God is not the Deus Abscondidus, the absent or clockmaker God of deistic philosophy. God is manifest among us and dwells among those called by his name. And God is for us. The Spirit protects, sustains, and empowers us. The Spirit intercedes for us with wordless groans. The Spirit causes the fruit to grow and showers us with gifts for service. Oh, yes, by the Spirit, God is indeed for us. And with an intimacy almost beyond comprehension, the Spirit of God is in us. Individually and especially collectively, you and I are God's holy temple. Closer than our own breath, that indwelling presence can be as easily to, is easy to forget about as our breath because of the constancy of that very reality. Yet we can learn to become increasingly aware of and attentive to that constant equipping, empowering, leading, and guiding presence. We live in the Spirit, so let us, with increasing agility, learn to walk in the Spirit. In the name of Yahweh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. 
You've just listened to a podcast from Little Trinity Church in Toronto. Please check out our website at www.littletrinity.org to find out more about our ministries and services.